Hey, welcome to the Female Founder World Podcast. My name is Jasmine Garnsworthy. I am the creator of the Female Founder World Universe and the host of this show. Today, my guest is Raquel Boris, and she is the founder of a fragrance brand called Who is Elijah? They are a luxury feeling and luxury scented fragrance brand with a much more affordable price point. She started the business when she was 23 and she was working as a executive assistant. She did not have like a huge social media following. She didn't come from a family of entrepreneurs. She used her own money to get this business off the ground and is just one of those people that I, I love talking to because I think that you hear from her and you're like, okay, I can totally make my idea happen. The business is now five years old and it's valued at around 20 million Australian dollars. And she's had two babies along the way. So speaking to her and figuring out how she's done that and what it takes and how she's figured all of this out along the way is very, very inspiring. And we also talk a lot about how she's been scaling the business in the last couple of years as well. And some resources that have helped her and her team up level in the company that will help everyone, no matter what stage you're at in building a business or working for a founder led brand, maybe in marketing or ops. I think this would be really good for you as well. Before we jump into the episode, I want to let you know about an event that we have coming up on August 30 in New York City. This is an intimate community hang for our New York community. We are having a fireside chat with me and Barbara Rivera, who is the founder of this incredible Latinx haircare brand called Ceremonia. And the event is happening at the Ceremonia store. It is a free event. There will be free goodies. There will be drinks. There will be great people for you to connect with. And as always, it is open to our paid business bestie subscribers first. And now we've opened it up to the rest of the community. The link is in the show notes. If you want to register, make sure you've got your name on the list because we will be checking RSVPs at the door. I hope to see you there. You are now entering Female Founder World with your host, Jasmine Grinesworthy. Raquel, welcome to Female Founder World. It's so good to have you on the show. Oh, hello, Jasmine. I'm so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. We've had so many Aussies on the show lately, and we are actually predominantly a US-based podcast, but I just feel like Aussies have the best stories and they're so forthcoming with all the data and information. So another Aussie beauty entrepreneur on the show, we'd love to have you. Oh, thank you. I was telling you earlier, this is such a... 360 moment. I used, I've been listening to your podcast ever since I started Who Is Elijah and I, I I don't know if this is like stalkerish but I always thought like when I get on here I will I will know that I've made it so I must have made it because I'm here now. <laughs> I mean you are doing amazing things. I have been deep diving into your story and it's so cool. So for people who don't know Who Is Elijah, what have you guys built? What are you doing? What's like the what's the sales pitch in a couple of sentences? Yeah, um, luxury Australian fragrance house, beautiful fragrances, very good price as well. We like to call ourselves affordable luxury in the fragrance world. I remember trying, uh, is it called His and, His and Her? But the His first Her, yeah. That you guys did ages ago. And I was doing a lot of beauty writing back, in, back when you started. So I must have been gifted some. And I was like, oh, this is cool. Like, it smells great. It's like very intense. So I really loved it. And then I was like, I don't know. Like, is there space for another perfume brand? I don't know. You know, and then didn't really think about it for a while. And then I kind of kept seeing you, kept seeing you, kept seeing you. And then today when I was looking up 
some milestones about where you've taken this business. It's incredible. You recently had a valuation at 20 million. You're on track to hit 14 million in revenue this year. Your first order with Priceline, which is kind of like maybe like a bougie CVS for the American people. Is that what you would say? Yeah, um, yeah. You guys did like like 42,000 units for your first order. So you guys have built something so, so impressive. Talk me through how you got started. The idea, I'll start at where the idea was conceptualized. It was actually in America at Coachella uh, in 2017. I was introduced to a bottle of fragrance oil from India that a friend of a friend was wearing and I was just obsessed with it. I took a photo of it and I started wearing it at Coachella. Then I took a photo of it and when I got home back to Sydney in Australia, I tracked it down online because I just couldn't stop thinking about it. And I was 23 at the time. I didn't really know anything about fragrance. I wasn't purchasing fragrance myself. I was just asking my parents to buy it for me for birthdays and Christmases because my 23-year-old budget did not allow for the Byredos and the Lalabos of the world. Mm-hmm. When I started wearing it around Sydney and anywhere in Australia, I had so many people coming up to me and tapping me on the shoulder and asking what fragrance I was wearing. And it was a little bit of a rosé-induced idea, I'm not going to lie, to um, you know, try to make a fragrance, try to make a perfume because I was there was something in me telling me that there was a demand for something new and something different. And, and I, from my own experience, uh, you know, I couldn't afford these really expensive fragrances. So I thought there must there, I, I hate to say there was a gap in the market because there's definitely not a gap in any market really. But there was definitely a space for a luxury fragrance that didn't have that luxury price tag. Mm. And this is 2018. You're 23 years old. Where were you at in your career at the time? So I was an executive assistant. I had a baby just before launching Who Is Elijah. So I then had a little bit of maternity leave and then I was at that time an executive assistant at a luxury hotel group. Okay. And for the people who are like cynical, you were not an influencer. You didn't have thousands of Instagram followers at the time. You didn't have any like big connections in the beauty industry. You were exactly as you're saying, like getting started yourself, just like hustling. Oh my gosh, yeah. So I think I maybe had a thousand Instagram followers. I worked in the business world, very corporate. I didn't know anyone in the beauty industry. I definitely had to start from scratch. (laughs) We're going to talk about the baby thing in a minute because I have a six-month-old baby. This is something that I'm every time I talk Mm -hmm. to somebody who's self-employed and has small children, I'm like, okay, but how are you doing it? So we'll talk about that in a little bit, but let's, let's stay in the early days. I want to understand how you got things started. I know that you had the idea and you had your first product out really quickly. How did you get like your first samples done? Where did you find your packaging? Like how did all of that come together and how did you fund it? So first step was to find a perfumer which I very quickly realized that I had to find. And then I, it wasn't too, it didn't take me too long to find a perfumer here in Sydney, which was actually amazing because that's where I've always lived. So I went and met with, with him and it was the third one that I had spoken to, the one that I thought was the best and was the best. Uh, so I met with him and then he started, I basically had no knowledge of how to do this. So we, you know, it was kind of 
making perfume for dummies 101 but he was really helpful and guided me through showing me like the scent library and I showed him the fragrance from Coachella and he sort of steered me away from creating something so intense straight away it's not a fragrance that would be I guess like loved by everyone it's a very particular fragrance so along the way we took about three months and we made what is now his her and uh, once I sort of locked in that fragrance that I loved so much I then started looking at bottles and I somehow stumbled across uh, like an online perfume perfume bottle and cosmetic store in Italy and their minimum orders were only a hundred bottles so I was very like very able to order a hundred bottles and then for packaging packaging you know I, I think everyone goes to China basically to do packaging and I didn't have the ability to order 10,000 boxes at once which is what most of them are asking for so I just found a local box supplier and I bought like a really simple square box and I got a stamp made with our logo on it and I was just stamping boxes um, putting in tissue paper and the bottle and then putting a sticker on the top to seal it and that was it I didn't even have ingredients on the box because I didn't even know that you needed to do that I can't believe I didn't get in trouble I mean I feel like early (laughs) on it's just like no one knows about you yet so you have a little bit of leeway to figure it out but how much did you spend to get started? I didn't track it as good as I probably should have, but I, I th- believe it's between twelve dollars and $15,000. And that was just your own savings that you, or like yeah. from, your, from your day job. Yeah. Yeah, that's right. And then how did you create your online store? Like how were you figuring all of that out? What did that look like? Did you hire anyone? Did you do it yourself? No, I did everything myself, basically, except for working with a graphic designer to create the logo. I just went into Shopify uh, because I was listening to podcasts so early on, like because the creating the perfume stage did take, you know, three, four months or so. And during that whole time, I started listening to podcasts and I was learning from other people's mistakes, basically, because that's what we do on podcasts. We talk about everything that we did wrong and what we're doing right now. So I just listened to everyone that I, you know, I found um, on podcasts talking about relevant sort of industries, I guess, like very beauty, beauty focused and startup focused, sorry. And yeah, I went up to Shopify and I just Googled and taught myself how to create a very, very plain Jane website, but it was perfect for, you know, I think it lasted like two years before I even I got someone else to do it. And we don't always spend this much time on the show talking about like the early days and we are going to get into a little bit more about like the lessons that you've had as you're scaling the business and your um, lessons through building wholesale and e-commerce. And we'll get into all of that for people who are a little bit further along in building a company. But I wanted to talk about the early days of your business because I do think it's really expansive for people to hear that you were able to figure it out and how you were able to get started in a really scrappy way. You're still totally (laughs) self-funded. And I just think it's really good to hear those stories about people to just to get that feeling of like, okay, shit. Yeah. Like I can actually do this too. And that's why I wanted to spend some time on the very like early nascent stage of building who is Elijah. Yes. Well, I've got many stories to tell of the early days. I know that when you kind of got started, you were like, like hitting the pavement, you wanted to grow through wholesale, but, and you didn't understand like Instagram or how to get started on that piece. Talk me through how you were getting those first sales and what that first year really looked like. I launched the website with one fragrance, which was his her in October 2018. And of course, 
no one rushed to the website because no one even knew it existed or who I was or who the perf- or what the perfume was. <laughs> so I straight away said to myself, well, I need to get this into stores because I think we've all, you know, walked into department stores, especially and seen, you know, shelves and shelves and shelves of perfume. So it wasn't something that I, I was ignorant about, of you know, perfume typically being available in stores. And I just walked into stores that were in around Sydney and introduced myself and said hi I'm Raquel and I've made a fragrance and it's made here in Australia and I would love for you to smell it and then I gave it to them to smell and you know nine times out of ten people loved it and um, when I suggested that they stock in their store they said yes so that's what I did and for any stores that I found online or knew about outside of New South Wales or outside of Sydney I was just sending them samples in the post uh, and I actually yeah, sending them in the post, sending them a little email about me to introduce them to myself and the brand and explaining, you know, my little backstory. And I had a really good, um, you know, success rate of getting on these new stores, which was amazing. I think within probably 18 months, we had maybe 30 stores, which now sounds not that much, but back then it was definitely, you know, it was incredible to have that many stores. And because I was hand bottling these fragrances myself and also working full time. I was bringing on as much as I could handle by myself, if that makes sense. Yeah. Wow. Okay. So you had your first 30 stores. How much revenue do you think you did in that first year? These are the things I wish that I kept track of, but I think definitely less than 50,000. Like we definitely weren't doing a thousand dollars a week back then, maybe even closer to 30 to $40,000. Okay. So if we're talking then, I mean, we're five years later and you're on track to hit like up around 14 million Australian mm-hmm. in revenue. Where has this growth come from? I know <laughs> that you've got some, a lot bigger retailers. You're in Adore mm-hmm. and Priceline, two really big retailers in Australia. Talk me through what some of those moments were when it just like switched from being this like small kind of little business mm-hmm. with independent boutiques into a bigger beauty company. I think the first moment was back in July 2020 when I secured David Jones, which I guess is like the equivalent of, I don't know, maybe like a Neiman Marcus, do you think, for the US listeners? So our first department Except store- we only have like two, we only have like two retailers. You know what I mean? Like there's no other competitor. It's like Neiman Marcus if there was only Neiman Marcus and one other right. you yeah. know, multi-brand so- retailer. Yeah. Yes. Okay. That's a good point. So yes, David Jones, I guess, is our only major retailer here, uh, department major retailer. So that was a my first sliding door moment that once I secured David Jones was when I actually quit my full-time job, which was really exciting. Then the next moment was in January 2021 when we secured Adore Beauty. So Adore Beauty was a huge turning point for Who Is Elijah and still to this day, we're partnered with them and I will always give kudos and thanks to them because they've helped, you know, they've helped us give like high brand recognition uh, that like the Adore Beauty community is amazing. And they, the whole team really loved my fragrances and really pushed, you know, not even pushed to sell, but just pushed them like they just talked about it so much with their community. And I, I remember the first month that we launched with them, 
which was January 2021, we they had to reorder three times because we just kept selling out because they did a, an article in their like beauty IQ community and it was just such a beautiful article and it was so genuine and they, they sold hundreds and hundreds of bottles within like three weeks and we didn't have any stock left. And wow. we, yeah, we were getting air freight. We had to get two air freights in just to keep up with their orders which was just incredible and I mean the the order volume that they do now is just it's out of control and then you were talking to me before the show and you were yeah. saying that when when Priceline put in their first order of like 42,000 units you, you were still hand bottling all of the fragrances which is just like I feel tired just thinking about that that is so intense when did you make the switch to outsourcing that and how did you figure out that piece no we are still hand filling the bottles like the price line wow two months ago yeah so price line was oh maybe three months ago now nearly three months ago we got the order and then we filled it within four weeks I think it was three or four weeks we actually got our first machine delivered today would you believe it because the machines were really hard to find. And I mean, some of them are a million dollars, which I just, you know, we don't have that cash laying around. So we found one for our two mil and 10 mil bottles, which are our most highly consumed bottles. So that is here today. We need to buy like this special generator that's hopefully a bit quiet. And then we'll, that yeah, that's our first machine. And um, Priceline nearly killed us. Wow. Uh, but in the best way. Like it's been such a, it's been life changing. It's changed my life. And, you know, we've been able to hire, I think we've hired like six people since then just to help with production and um, dispatch, which is really, really cool. Really cool. So you obviously wanted to keep all that piece of things in house. You obviously, you're not outsourcing that. I'm sure you could have found someone who would have done that production for you, but it sounds like you've intentionally decided to keep that close. What does the team look like and what is that structure around fulfillment and production now? So we have about 15 staff that like I produ- we call them like production managers. So they're the ones that are filling the mm-hmm. bottles, labeling and pa- um, putting them in the packaging ready for, I guess, like, you know, creating the finished goods. And then we have two people that dispatch our retail orders. Um, and then we've actually just outsourced to a 3PL here in Sydney to do our online orders just because we were a couple of reasons we were running out of room of people and we didn't have enough space and then running out of space to hold the stock and it was it's just a, a big job off our shoulders that could, then we can all focus on just creating perfect product and then upstairs we have our marketing manager we just hired a sales director for uh, like our global sales director I should say and then it's myself and my husband and my amazing executive assistant and that's it there's we're not a huge team there's about 20 of us Okay. And I also know that recently you have started looking at expanding into the UK. And I think this is, we've, we've like lined up this interview very quickly because I saw a video that went yeah, pretty viral right. actually that you did. That was about you saying goodbye to your little boy while you were going off on this like big work trip. Was that the London trip? Yeah, that was it. I forgot that that's how we, how you found me. Yes. So I went to, so after the, you know, the very, oh, I, I hate to say it, you know, that like took five years, but that overnight success of Priceline, I just sort of started thinking to myself, well, who are the Pricelines of the world? Because that's where we need to be to get into people's hands faster. And even just 
having you know easy accessible locations for people to go in store to try our fragrances so straight away I thought Boots in the UK and and I reached out to them I found one of their buyers through LinkedIn and I honestly just I should be in the FBI I kind of just guessed and worked out what their email addresses were one of my emails got through and they responded to me the next day I got the contact and the delivery details to send the samples to and they received them within you know a few days and they loved the samples. However, one of the roadblocks was that we're a new brand over there. Essentially, not many people know who we are and shelf space is quite limited in these big retail stores. So they, you know, they're saving those spaces for more in-demand products. So... I am not one who take no for an answer. Not that it was a no, but it wasn't a yes either. And I just said, well, I'm going to go and create the demand. So about 10 days later, we sent 500 of our discovery sets over to um, the hotel that we had booked to stay in London. And myself and my marketing manager flew over there. And for two days, we stood in the front stood in front of a few boots locations and handed out discovery sets to customers walking in and out of the stores and the content was amazing and uh, we did get they did notice us and we're still haven't got a yes but I'm not giving up but it, it had a lot of other positive outcomes as well like a lot of other retailers there took notice of us and we're now in conversations with them and we you know we got 500 new customers I'm in the UK at the moment, so I'm going to go and knock on doors and ask, um, ask yeah. Boots if they stop who is Elijah. <laughs> and everyone else in the UK, go to Boots and ask if they have the brand as well. <laughs> Let's get oh the gosh, demand drummed up. really good idea. I should just pay people, you know, $100 for every 100%. store that they go or into. Or just like ask people on TikTok. Like just ask people on TikTok. Like, hey, like if you're in the UK, tell, go tell your friends in the UK, like let's make this happen. People will do it. Of course they will. I'm going to do that. Thank you, Jasmine. <laughs> yeah. Of course. I love this little marketing brainstorm. Okay. So I, I've seen you like get into all of these big retailers. We're we're looking at international retailers now. What lessons do you have for people who want to start finding those big retail accounts about how you pitch yourself, how you position the brand, what to include Mm -hmm. in your deck, like how you need to be set up on the back end, like all of these things that are lessons that are kind of like hard won by you Mm. that you think other people should know before they kind of go down this track? One thing that I did great and right at the very beginning was I was luckily still working in that the luxury hotel group so there was a huge marketing team there and I had people to ask um, ideas for before I before I approached David Jones so the one thing that I have done since that day is I have a really good brand deck and that brand deck grows you know every few months but what I have in there is product imagery so they know exactly what it looks like um, packaging and you know the inside contents pricing both RRP and wholesale pricing a bio about myself you know a bio about the company our, our why any PR activities that we've done influence you know you know key influences that have posted for us links to media articles it's our resume it's our resume like it's our cv it's got everything that you could possibly need to know about us so and it's almost like it answers a lot of their questions that they don't even need to ask so i think that's really good um sampling having samples to gift and along with your brand deck or you know because i think getting these people that you want to talk to and be in their stores to be able to experience your product is the first step that you should do. Um, 
what else? I mean, there's so many things. And in, in terms of the back end, you know, making sure that you do have enough stock. And I mean, it's so hard to project and forecast growth, especially in the early days. I had no idea that Adore Beauty would blow up the way that it did. And we didn't have the stock to support it. But I mean, we, we were able to get it. It took a couple of weeks. But I think the way of the world is now it's getting harder to get stock a lot quicker than usual and it's a lot more expensive too so I think um having like a little bit of a buffer of stock and and, and again it's hard to do that because sometimes you don't have the budget to have too much stock on hand we've talked a lot about wholesale I'm also really curious about your e-commerce business is this it sounds like in the early days you kind of when you're just getting started and you're figuring all of this out like the logical thing was like I'm gonna get into stores and then that's kind of taking you down this wholesale route but now Mm. it looks like you also have built up like a pretty good e-commerce business as well. How has that grown? What lessons do you have along the way of like what's worked, what hasn't worked as you've been building out your own like website sales or direct sales? Yeah, so e-com has been tricky for us. I mean, we're in a really good position now, the best we've ever been. And like our product is, you know, fragrance. It's hard to sell a fragrance online, especially in the early days when no one knows who you are. Mm. So one of the best things that we did uh, probably two years in was start influencer marketing, which I didn't even think to do for the first two years of the company. So this is 2020? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So this is probably mid 2020, even late 2020, to be honest. You know, actually it's probably late 2020 was when I first started to do influencer marketing. And so nearly, yeah, so about two years into the business. And then another another good thing that we did, I mean, it's kind of, very particular to our product but uh, so we started to offer a free two mil sample vial with every full bottled purchase so every 50 mil 100 mil so the customer could try or sample the two mil bottle and if they didn't like it they could send their unopened 100 mil or 50 mil back to us that was quite a big turning point to us as well we call it like a risk-free and yeah so that's that's been really good um we have been very up and down we've had not amazing experiences with like digital ads agencies. So our Facebook marketing, Google marketing, we had a really good partner for quite a long time. And then we thought that we needed to go to a, you know, a bigger agency to grow. And that was an absolute disaster. They spent so much money and we're not making any more money. I honestly could have bought a house with the money that they wasted this year. So it got to April of this year and I just, I woke up and I remember the day so clearly and I just woke up angry and fed up and sick of hearing their lies and excuses and trying to tell me that what the results that we were getting were good results when I knew that they weren't because they were worse than what we were getting before and spending a third of the money. So my husband, the angel decided, okay, like, look, it cannot be that hard to do Facebook marketing. Like it's so, everybody does it. So I'm going to learn how to do it. And he joined what is called the Jay Wright community as Jay Wright. And he learned how to do Facebook um, marketing in less than six weeks. And we've now nearly doubled our revenue with, you know, less than half of the ad spend that the agency was doing before. And um, it's been such a, yeah, like it's been, again, life-changing. And now we know how easy it is and why these agencies send you and take you to all of these fluffy lunches. It's because they don't actually spend that much time, doing the you know, pressing the buttons that they need to press. They're just fluffing around, I think. Maybe not all of them, but that's definitely been our experience. 
I just think this is such a, an important thing to cover. I also, when I had my beauty business wasted a shitload of money on yeah. digital ads, I think it was a mix of like the agency being full of like lying as the, exactly yeah. what you just said, just like telling us it was good results. And I was like, but this mm-hmm. isn't the results other people I know are getting. And also probably being too early to do ads. Like maybe we didn't have enough mm-hmm. data for them to go on, but they weren't going to tell me that because they no. wanted my business. And so no. It was just, yeah, it was a real shame. And that was such a waste of money. And I do think there's this like, I don't know, one of the lessons that I keep learning and that I hear people learning on the show is you always think that you need to like find an expert to do something and that there's always someone who knows better than you. Whereas Mm -hmm. a lot of the time it just comes and it's like, even just like outsourcing to get like advice and decision and like make decisions. You want to know what other people would do when you're kind of Mm -hmm. looking externally when so much of the time the answer is literally just like to look internally and teach yourself and learn it and you're like every bit as capable as a lot of these experts that are charging all of this money and probably not giving the same results because it's not their business like they don't care as much as you do oh I couldn't agree more and like my motto now is like just become the expert like we can become the expert like there's nothing that I have had to do that is too hard I think like do I need, there's obviously there's some things that I need, like I don't know how to develop a website or like do coding, but I know enough how to like, I can do some things to the website. So I, I never try to put, a, you know, be a hundred percent reliant on an external person because I, I don't know, like they, like what you just said, Jasmine, like they don't really care about your business as much, especially not as much as what we care about it. And um, I think you just need to know how your business runs like even now to this day, like I still sometimes do customer service and I, I'm filling bottles in the warehouse and I'm making sure that, you know, our dispatch is going out properly. Like I do, you know, I'll clean the kitchen, for example. Like I, there's nothing that I won't do in the business because I want to know exactly how everything is running. And that is not in like a crazy, like a micromanaged way. It's just like, you know, working alongside the people that you have appointed to do those things in your business just and to make sure that, that if, is there anything that we can do to make their job easier and is there something that maybe they've mm. forgotten? Is there something that maybe we forgot to teach them? And I just think it's so important. And honestly, to this day, I, I was doing customer service today just because I just need to know what's going on. <laughs> what does your day-to-day look like now? You know, the company of your size, but you're still pretty young, you're five years mm-hmm. in what are you spending your days doing up until and also like so talk me through the baby thing as well because you you have us you have children as well very early on i've got two kids george who is four years old and pippa is coming close to two years old so both of them fortunately and unfortunately i had to rush back to work pre this is pre who was elijah so i put them both in daycare from i think like 10 weeks old they both went so they have been in care pretty much all of their lives but they love it and there's a lot of benefits from it they've got amazing social skills and you know I I I loved working and I always wanted to create a nice life that we didn't have to stress too much about finance like finance um, things and especially when who was Elijah started getting busier there was no one else that could do the full you know it's like two full-time jobs in one almost so I in my mind I you know decided that that's what I wanted to do George is in five days a week and Pippa is in four days a week and then I've got an amazing mother-in-law who helps with the kids so much and Adam and I so my husband and I are both working every day together here in the office so I wake up in the morning depends what time Pippa decides to wake up and scream the house down this morning I think it was 4 45 brilliant so same as me 
<laughs> yeah. So that's always fun. Waking up with the kids, getting them breakfast, taking them to kindy, which is not too far from our office, which is great. And then once I'm in the office, it's so cliche, but no two days are the same. Putting out fires or doing something cool. Like today was a really fun day, actually. So today, Jasmine, my marketing manager, and I went to visit a lot of our stores around Bondi and Coogee. So we went to Sephora, we went to Priceline, we went to David Jones, we went to Sass and Bide, and we just created content um, in the stores, which was really fun. I know that so much of it you've done in-house and done yourself. Are there any... Mm-hmm. Shopify apps that you're using that you think are really great? Do you know any of the ones that are in the store? I just think it's great to hear the tools that other businesses are using uh, on their e-commerce stores. Yeah. One one app that we have used, oh, what is it called? It's like the heat map and it shows where all of your customers are going oh. or not going on your website. I personally don't look at it, but I know that that was really helpful when we were building the website and when we have done setting up like our Facebook ads. I think it's Hotmap. And then mm-hmm. and like it's not really related to Shopify, but we implemented Salesforce about two years ago and that has really changed how the business runs and it's really automated a lot of things because we get it, we're getting fragrance, perfume bottles, packaging all from different suppliers and, you know, globally. So we were having really bad inventory issues and it was costing us a fortune because we would run out of something and have to air freight it from maybe Europe or China or uh, Italy or like wherever it was. As in your ingredients? Not our ingredients. Like, you know, our bottles are from Spain and then we might get lids Mm, from Italy, our packaging from China. So our fragrance is made here in Sydney, so that's nice and easy. We can actually drive to pick it up, which is really helpful. Salesforce really helped get like um, build a custom infantry system that was perfect for us because all of the ones that were already out there, they just didn't work for us. I mean, they obviously work for other people, but I think there was just too many moving parts to our products that we had to build something custom but along the way that actually helped with um like our our wholesale side of it too so we were able to create a wholesale portal for all of our stockers to go on our website log in and place their orders so that really automated a lot of things and then the stockers are able to like track their orders it's just like I don't want to say it didn't replace people's roles because they weren't roles but it has definitely helped you know, it's being able to sell globally and people to be able to manage their orders themselves. That's a great tip. I want to just end the show by understanding like what are the challenges or like what's the big question that you have in the business now that you're trying to figure out? Like if you were Mm. to speak with somebody who had scaled and sold a massive company that's doing 10x what you're doing, what Mm. questions would you have for them at your stage in business? I have two questions. My first one is, please tell me what roles to hire and and in which order to hire them in. I think that's something that I've, yeah, always not really felt 100% confident in doing because I think we're at like such a pivotal moment right now. Like we've gotten to this point, but all of us are stretched so thin and none of my amazing, you know, team ever complain, but and, you know, even myself, I'm, I'm not doing 100% in everything that I'm doing because I'm doing too many things. So I think I'm, I'm like now starting to split up the roles and delegate things off my plate as well. So that would be probably one of my, my first questions to ask. And another one would be how far can I go 
doing this by myself and at what point should I or even should I consider uh, like outside funding? Awesome questions. Okay, amazing. Raquel, thank you so much for coming on Female Founder World. This has been a great conversation. I've loved chatting with you. I'm going to hit you up when I'm in Sydney at the end of the year and maybe we can go have a coffee or a wine. Oh, I would love that. Thank you so much, Jasmine. Yeah. So lovely to talk to you. Of course. Quick shout out to all of our business bestie subscribers. If you are loving the show and you are building a consumer, CPG or e-commerce business, or you're about to build one, this membership will give you access to the people, experiences and the tools that you really need to build your dream business. Head to femalefounderworld.com forward slash subscriber for more.